Well, knowledge is knowing there's a joke about tomatoes being a fruit and not to put them in a fruit salad. Uh, wisdom is knowing that Anya has already put that uh, comment in the show notes and so therefore not to make that joke. Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's W for wisdom. It is indeed. And what do you know about wisdom, Anya? Oh, very little. I mean, if you ask anyone who knows me, they'll say that I am incredibly unwise. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I'm merely I'm joshing. Yeah. One, one of the things in the, in the last episode when I had to do the uh, values in action, the VIA Institute test, it's one of the questions was, do, do people consider you a wise person? And it's really tricky because you also know they're testing for humility. And so it's like, I could say that people do consider me a wise person. And the freakiest one is when I say some some random shit and someone grabs a notepad and pen and says, can you say that again? And I go, I have no idea what I just said, but <laughs> I'll try. And so when I came across that question last week and it's like, well... Technically, yes, but do I really want to like own up to that? And yeah, you know, there is you 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 have stolen my joke about uh, tomatoes and fruit salad, and it is that old one of knowing knowing it's a fruit and then where not to put it meal wise, <laughs> meal wise. Yes, <laughs> I I I got into this with so I used to have a show called List Envy, which I think I'd like to think in my retirement I could just do again because it's quite a lot of work. But it's so much fun. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the episodes we did top five fruits. And I think I made a couple of upsetting fruit selection choices. Uh, really? I think chief among them being olives, because olives are fruit. They are. And so we got we, we went into the, the same issue there because, yes, I chose olives as a fruit because olives are good, but they're not sweet. So. Yeah. Yeah, no and I think it's well, well. We'll get into the whole kind of judgment sure. and discernment thing. You know, was it a, was it wise to choose olives in a list where there was the unspoken social convention of what constitutes a fruit? Exactly. And so, yeah, that's why I'm kind of bringing this in now because we're getting towards the end of the second season, getting towards the end of the alphabet, and there's been a lot of spaghetti thrown on the wall. There's been a lot of knowledge, a lot of information been offered through these different calls and I think wisdom is this thing of you know understanding and judging carefully with discernment you know when do we deploy some of these things what's appropriate for a particular situation and you know and touching back into last week's show about values sometimes we will have values that are in conflict with each other how do we discern which to prioritize how do we find a sweet spot between the two how do we perhaps find a way to bring all of our gifts our skills our strengths and our abilities to good use and I think wisdom you know the way I'm looking at wisdom through this today's lens is almost like a conductor or the executive aspect the the I'm going to be talking about a paper in a moment. We talked about it being like the master virtue, the way that we know how to use all the other things that we have at our disposal. Because we know there's this idea of 
people who have skills but lack the will to use them you know and there's a I mean you you're now looking to coach people who are creative artistic who want to put their work in the world and there is such a dramatic cut now in funding for the arts and while I do applaud that STEM subjects are being rightly funded it's that thing of just because we can doesn't mean that we should and without this wisdom to know how to apply things to take them away from just thinking about the the bottom line and what's most expedient we can then bring ourselves into a whole world of trouble and I I love this little quote from Barry Schwartz on whose paper I'm going to be drawing from to be wise it is not enough to know the right thing to do you also have to want to do it because one of the We see it so frequently now. The paper that I'm going to be drawing on is based in, published in 2006, long before anti-homelessness architecture became a horrifying feature on some city streets. Benches that are made so that people cannot sleep on them. Doorways that have spikes on the ground so people cannot seek shelter from there rather than actually addressing the root cause of why are people having to sleep rough on our streets well, it's 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 deliberate and needless cruelty that's that's the the conversation i've had with uh with other people there's no reason to do that other than to be cruel there there is yeah. no there's no reason other than cruelty to make a bench that slopes uh we have them uh, where i where i live uh in the center of town mm. uh in bus stops uh, they have the sloping bench so that you can sort of sit on them but you can't sleep on them and and it's it's in a covered bus stop the only reason you do that is because you want to be cruel yeah yeah so and so this is where you know having we can have all this intellect all this ability all this power but without the wisdom to know how it's going to impact others, it can be, as you say, used for cruelty. And that is a thing that is so horrifying. And so I'm going to be touching on really Aristotle's idea of phonesis, practical wisdom. And again, this is from uh, Barry Schwartz and Sharp's uh, paper, Practical Wisdom, Aristotle Meets Positive Psychology. And I came, when I think I'm going to sound like such a freaking nerd, but but you're used to is, it. Is, is this is this the one? Is is this the one that makes you sound like a nerd? Well, yeah, I know, I know. But I came across because I I did an MSc in applied positive psychology, and I came across this paper during the first semester when we were looking at strengths, and that's how I actually came across the the VIA test that we did in the last episode. And nerd moment, I fell in love with this paper. Even rereading it today, I wanted to hug it to my bosom. There's just some, because one, one, it's so beautifully written. I've, it's in the show notes. There's a PDF you can download. Barry Schwartz, because he talked about, you know, imagine that you're grading um, two students. You know, the first student is barely getting a C in your class. You know, has written a paper, which is about a B minus at that, but it's cogent, it's coherent, it's the best work that they've done. Then you've got another student who's an A student, acing everything, and has put in a, a, an essay which is, it's kind of like, you know, A minus, it's good enough, but nothing original, there's no spark to it. And they've kind of phoned it in. And it's this whole thing of developing, developing practical wisdom of going, you know, so how do you grade this? Do you choose, okay, do you just choose the strict criteria of what were the guidelines? And obviously, almost 20 years later, that's probably what teachers are supposed to do now, being very, very rigid, and then talk to the students and say to the C student, 
that was brilliant. And the A student, I'm kind of disappointed. How do we choose these things? The other example he uses through the whole paper is this one of your best friend is putting on a dress to go to a wedding and turns to you and say, how do I look? And they, it's incredibly unflattering. And you have these conflicting virtues of, of honesty. You know, friendship is all about honesty and not making, letting a friend look foolish. But then you have to think of, but what will it do to their self-esteem? Do they have anything else? There's only a couple of hours to go. And there's all these different things which require us to have a real sense of specificity with someone, knowing someone deeply. You can't make a generalization of, oh, in each time you're faced with that by a, a best friend who's wearing something unflattering, you should say X, because it's always going to be consequences. Thinking about what kind of, how, how it's going to land with them, which which virtue should you use? Should you use kindness instead of, of honesty? Is it the kind of person who is actually listening to to know what you think about whether they should go out in that dress? Or do they just did they just want you to say, yeah, you look great? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Do do they actually care about the feedback, or do they they just need to yeah to to be got out the door? Absolutely, absolutely. And so this kind of takes us to in a, in a sideways kind of way takes us to the first prompt really of whose wisdom do you follow? Because in this instance, you might be dealing with someone who as you say, doesn't listen to other people's opinions. Or they may not want feedback at all. They may only want validation. But again, this is because we know these people. We know this person. We can't just make a general generalization. This is where the difference between rules and judgment come really into play, actually. You can't make a rule around these things. It has to be an in-the-moment judgment call, knowing full well that if someone says, how do I look, and you take too long to answer them... <laughs> You've already kind of given them an answer because you're trying to work out how to say something diplomatically. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I know that when, you know, Brene Brown, I forget which book this is in, uh, for once, talks about how when she's feeling in insecure about things, she will end up canvassing opinion. You know, she will ask everyone, oh, what should I do? What should I do? What about this? What about this? And that is can be like a, uh, a tell as well if you end up canvassing people for what you should do that's a good way of realizing that you haven't got the confidence in yourself you're not taking the time to actually tune into yourself but there is this wonderful idea of having a strong circle of trusted friends you know a group of, of advisors Brene Brown I did a, a courage course with her years ago I think it was based on Daring Greatly actually and she says, the names of the people whose opinion you should listen to should fit on a one inch by one inch square of paper. That's really small. That's really small. Yeah, it's That's like really small. It's kind of like very, maybe it's like a two inches, maybe no, sure. but, but, but it's kind of, but that, but rather than having a whole long list, actually, because she, when she talks about the people in the, the arena, she talks about the critics who count. She's talking about who are the people. There's going to be lots of people with a variety of opinions, which are going to be completely coloured by their own experience. Who are those couple of voices that you're going to listen to? And I know that you, Mark, 
you're actually starting to tap into something quite similar. Yes, I am drawing from uh, the work of Michael Bungay-Stanya, who has a book called How to Begin. Uh, And uh, yeah, he has a thing about um, getting a group uh, together to help you navigate towards a worthy goal. And it's made up of, let's see if I can do this from memory, the warrior, the... Uh, teacher. Because so, so there's there's Anna who's the warrior. There's me yep. who's the healer. Healer, thank you. Healer. Oh. Uh, we've got the teacher or uh, slash magician uh, mm-hmm. who's my friend Brendan. We've got the ruler who is uh, our friend Lawrence, uh, and then we've got the trickster who is my friend Danny. And getting those people together helps you gain perspective, gives you the idea to bounce or gives you the people to bounce some ideas off uh, and give you a little bit of guidance or perhaps just raise an eyebrow and go, is that sure that's what you want to do? Because, yeah, guidance isn't isn't always you should go this way. It is sometimes that thing of highlighting boundaries and the pushback being, you know, you are the torrent of water. Sometimes they might provide the banks. And so, you know, how how, I'm just curious, how are you finding having a, a... wisdom pod i i think i'm underusing it someone suggested it might have been you in a recent call or it might have been another friend that getting them together every now and again or on a regular basis would be a good move and i think that is a good move that scares me because i don't like taking up like particular chunks of people's time but I think there is a lot of value in doing that because otherwise, yeah, you sort of forget they're there <laughs> to, to yeah. a degree. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, it was actually a coach and writer, uh, Marianne Powell, who came because she asked, "Do you, what kind of time commitment have you asked people yes. for in this? And, you know, you've also got this, you know, you've got five of us, so I'm quite happy to be the one who goes, so, so hey, shall we get together and have a chat? Yeah. <laughs> So you can doesn't doesn't necessarily even have to come from you. You know, there's a couple of us, and and I loved how you framed it as well, being on a spa, on a spaceship. Oh sure, yes, yeah. In uh, in morning creative, because of uh, I, I, lots of things seem to be forming themselves into this metaphor. I just thought, well, okay, if, if I'm sticking with with a spaceship, then we need a crew, and so yes, uh, I uh, yeah, it, it 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 works well enough for me. Mm-hmm. And no, so I'm I'm just saying, you know, in my role as Doctor Beverly Crusher, I will yes. also the ship's doctor. I will yes. also be quite up for just kind of be, be, being aware that the patient needs uh needs needs, needs a gathering. We need, <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need to get we around. Need a patient consult. Yes. Yeah, we do, we do, we do. And so that's one way of drawing wisdom from others, those people who we trust. You know, another way is. Uh, I oh, I think it's E.M. Foster, was it, or was it attributed to him in in a film? You know, we read to know we are not alone, and I think getting this has been one of the most. This is going to again sound nerdy as as all get out. It's one of the the sources of wisdom that I draw on the most is books, is is reading things, and building them into my own understanding of the world. And the Mark Silver at the heart of business, I did a Sufism in business, or it might have been heart of money business course with him a couple of years ago. He does it every January, uh, pay, pay what you want. You can just slipstream behind them, getting behind someone and actually following their path 
allows you, they do the hard work and the breaking of the air for you. But by, you know, and, and he puts it, he's very literal of his thing was literally just like writing down wise passages, actually, you know, have, and can I think that's this research that suggests even quite recently, actually, that we learn more effectively when we write things and when we are then on typing things. And so actually kind of like absorbing them into our psyche and into our body through that kind of graphical process. And obviously there is an aspect of bringing our sense of questioning to other people's work because they will have a different life experience from us. It's like a sort of triangulation uh, in the same way when you read a film critic, you're not necessarily thinking... I'm going to enjoy all of the same films as they do, but you've got the idea of if they enjoy this type of film and they say this one sucks, then you've kind of got an idea to triangulate against and say, well, they never like that kind of film, which means I will probably like it. Uh, (laughs) And you might have two or three uh, critics that you use to sort of triangulate and get a sense of where I might fall within, within that triangle. Indeed. And I'm thinking it's the idea of data points, because I know that you and I have spoken, possibly not on the podcast, perhaps like just individually about how so many of these books point to the same sort of things. <laughs> yeah, And actually, yes. I think that's where you start getting kind of additional data points. You start plotting a graph, you start seeing a pattern, you start finding particular words and phrases and ideas that just, oh, just work for you the way that when I read the paper on practical wisdom a couple of years ago, it was like, oh, this, yeah, me likey. Speaking of me likey, uh, yes. I have an update on uh, We Need to Know We're Not Alone. Ah. Which uh, comes from uh, Shadowlands. That's what I was thinking. It was from the film, but was it actually yes, him? Yes, C.S. Lewis is, is given C.S. these Lewis. words. Uh, and we don't know whether he said them necessarily or, or they were given to him, but uh, yes. And that is, I was introduced to that film. I think I I, I saw the last, I mean, four-fifths. I, I think, I think there, there was very little I missed at the beginning. Mm. Um, but it made me cry so much. <laughs> oh, oh, sweetheart. So much it made me cry. <laughs> Uh, in, in, in two distinct moments, because for a story of, it is a remarkable little vignette. And so that line is, uh, I think, uh, doubly poignant for a a film like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, I always bookend that mentally with the remains of the day and the other Mm. Anthony Hopkins film, which Mm -hmm. again is about loneliness and is more about how someone is unable to make the connection. I think in Shadowlands, C.S. Lewis is able to make the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. and so it's kind of like a bookend thing. I, I also have a theory about Sandra Bullock and constantly playing orphans, but let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's one for uh, that's one for A to Z of happiness extra. It is. It is. It is. Patreon.com slash no. <laughs> and so, but then there's like, so we've talked about the people that we know, people who are surrounding us, and then they're drawing on kind of the wisdom that's out there in the world from other people. But then, you know, it takes us to prompt two. How often do you talk to your inner sage? Because we do have within us our own source of wisdom. However, I would imagine that most how about you, Mark? I know for myself that I have deliberately cultivated an inner, an inner sage, an inner beloved, I, I, t- I tend to refer to them as, but I would say that most of us are more familiar with the concept of an inner critic. I remember reading a book a few years ago, I don't remember what it is, but 
it was around being happier in general. It may end up that having read it pre pre my uh, Anya enlightenment. <laughs> My inanium, my inanimate. It could well be from an author that we've like said loads and loads and loads of times on the podcast. But there was a thing about having an inner council, uh, and so I think uh, the the concept was to have it made up of people that you that exist or have existed that you admire and would be able to give you useful guidance and so when you have a problem you can present that problem to your council uh, and think about how each person might answer uh, or address that problem but yeah I, I think the inner uh the the inner sage or the yes the 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 beloved I think there's something much more personal and I think less low, like lower maintenance about that because you haven't got to have several people's dialogues in your heads. And it really can just come from the place of this is the person that wants the best things for you. Uh, un- unfettered by fear, because one of the things I've, I've said a couple of times in, in the other show is there are people in our lives who want good things for us, but they're also scared. And so they uh, they can keep us sort of tied down because they want to keep us safe. And that's fine. But I think uh, uh, an inner sage who wants good things for you but is also fearless but wise there is there is you 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 need you need both um you know fearless not foolish i think yes would be um would be extremely useful indeed indeed and you know we're kind of thinking of this being quite heady you know having these voices in our head but of course there's our wisdom manifests in our body you know we are the, in, in the, the systematic sense, we can get a gut feeling about something. There have been a couple of times in my life when I do. I, do I want to go that far? Yeah, I, I would say that my gut instinct has, has said, you know, don't go with this person. And and I'm not a naturally fearful person of people, kind of like men or whatever. But there was just a little clue that just made me go, you know what? It's fine. I'm going to wait for the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, little moments like that. And being able to develop a relationship with it, I'm kind of, I'm not going to go down polyvagal theory rabbit hole no. too far. Oh, I, I know, I know. It's one of the things you love about me. But I am going to say, you know, we do have this neuroceptive sense, this, this, this neuroception, this unconscious uh, detective, detecting system that scans, you know, for whether things are a warning or a welcome. And actually being able to tune in to that sometimes can be very well, very useful, particularly when we can then use our discernment to go, okay, so is this genuinely unsafe or is this because, as you're saying, you know, is there a part of me that wants to keep me too safe from standing up in public, for example, from posting something? I think that there's a difference between the kind of risk we take when talking to a stranger in a dark night versus putting out a message on social media. But our nervous system might register them as the same kind of threat. But yeah, I would love to do a very brief kind of guided meditation, the visualization, just to help people get in touch with their, their inner sage a bit more. What do you reckon, Mark? I love it. Quick update. I think the book in question was 59 Seconds. Think a Little Change a Lot by Richard Wiseman. Thank you very much. Oh, I remember Richard Wiseman. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
haven't heard that name for, 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 for a hot minute. Awesome. Yeah, well, this was uh, released back in, I think the book was t- 2009, and then it took a while for the, the audiobook to happen. But yes, there you go. I believe that was the book. Fantastic. Oh, but I yes, love it. please meditate me up. Well, it's just going to be a, a little one that I vaguely remember doing previously. So, well, this is one of those things where it, is it, I'm going to let my inner wisdom guide us, frankly. So, yeah, if you, if it's safe and comfortable to do so, feel free to close your eyes. Otherwise, just let this wash over you and perhaps listen to it again when you're in a more convenient moment. And just take a moment to feel your sitting bones on the seat of the surface beneath you, your feet on the floor, your back straight, allowing your breath to rise and fall naturally. Now call to mind a space where you feel safe and comfortable. It could be indoors or outdoors, perhaps real or imagined, but the perfect spot to have a cup of tea with someone. Perhaps imagine in your mind's eye a table with chairs, a pot of tea, cups, maybe some biscuits. And sense or feel or imagine yourself taking a seat in one of these chairs. And then joining you is someone who you feel embodies wisdom. You just know that if you ask them something, they're going to have the right, the kind the most perfect answer because they know you deeply and you can trust what they say. And this person could be a friend or a loved one. It could be someone like the Dalai Lama, a public figure. It could be Beyonce. Or it could be a fictional character. It could be someone like Yoda or Dumbledore. Whoever you feel most embodies the kind of wisdom that you want to to hear from today and now feel or picture imagine yourself looking at this wise person and asking them a question presenting them with something which you'd you'd just like some some perspective on some advice on some words of wisdom on And just watch their face and their eyes as they listen, listening with love and compassion and understanding. Just allow yourself that sense of being truly seen and truly heard. And just take a moment to allow them now to give you an answer. It could be in words. They could say it. Perhaps they conjure a piece of paper and a pen and write it down for you. And if they don't come up with something right now, that's okay. Trust that when you next need this piece of wisdom, it will appear from them instantly. Or that it may show up at a later moment when your mind is more open. And then just thank them. Thank them for listening with such love and such care and for giving you such wonderful advice. And so just imagine that you're now stepping back and looking at the scene and watching both yourself and this wise figure and just get a sense that actually everything that that wise person has just said is, has come from you. And in fact, I'd love to invite you now to 
sit into that chair opposite yourself so you can look at yourself through those same kind, compassionate, loving eyes. The same eyes that you just looked into a few moments before and felt seen, heard and loved. And know that this resource, this wisdom is always within you whenever you need to draw on it. Now, I'm just going to guide you back into your room. Just wiggle your toes. Feel your sitting bones on the seat or chair beneath you. And if you've closed your eyes, gently open them and look around the room. Mm. It's interesting. I, I sort of conjured up a moment that I had last year when uh, I went to go and see my brother, who I consider a wise uh, individual. And he gave me a pretty sage advice. It was a sage piece of advice. It was funny because as you were encouraging us to think about the setting before the person, I'd, I'd picked his kitchen and I was getting sort of sat down and then sort of he was there and he had uh, a piece of advice for me, which was to just be. It, it, it's, I, I almost had a little chuckle because the, the, the thought that my brother would think that I think he's wise would make him laugh. Um, but he is, uh, and he is someone that I I would turn to. And, uh, yeah, I came to him in a moment of, uh, of, of sort of mental, uh, anguish at not meeting whatever standards I'd set for myself. And, uh, he just, he just offered the advice, man, why don't you just be, you know, you, you spend all this time. I think we may have talked about it before, but like you spend all this time trying to be better or, or do this or lose this weight or do eat this thing or try this thing. It's like, why don't you just be? And um, it was exactly the the right thing at the right time, considering I'd kind of uh, crashed in on his day unexpected. <laughs> I just literally just turned up on his doorstep and he, he was not prepared for me. He, uh, yeah, he dealt with it very well. Fantastic, fantastic. And I think this takes us very nicely to our last thought, the, the last prompt. How do you learn from your experiences? Because, you know, to, to go back to the, the old joke at the top of the hour, so sometimes one of the only ways we can really make be make wise choices is to have experiences. You know, maybe maybe a really sweet tomato tastes really good in a fruit salad. I have to say, I've never tried it because, like conceptually, it's it, it's 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 so it's so wrong. But I imagine you know, with the right fruit and the right citrus syrup, could work. But it's kind of like learning to spend the time to be with our experiences. And rather than dismissing them or avoiding them, I think that's what I always think there's kind of like an alchemical aspect to wisdom where things need to be transmuted, not quite mulched or turned into compost, but there is an, a- there is an aspect of something needs to happen. We need to, we need to have these experiences so that we know and to get feedback from them, whether that's external or actually internal of, oh, yeah, that felt good. Oh, that didn't feel good. Oh, you know, I like who I am when I behave in a certain way. Oh, I don't like who I am when I behave in a certain way. But it t- actually takes that that beat, that moment, that uh, level of patience with ourselves to really have that reflection to understand, oh, there's a data point here. So when I next go through this, I have some information which doesn't have to dictate what I do, but means that this isn't my first rodeo. 
I keep think my brain keeps lately going back to um, video games, and I'm thinking about like saved. Like there's 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 different types of games in which you when you die you can respawn somewhere and you've got the same amount of health and stuff that you had when in your last checkpoint. Or there's other types of games where you respawn and you have the same amount of health that you did before, or the same ammo uh, before you died. Uh, and then there's other types of games which I think is more uh, like life. They that they I think they're called roguelikes, which is a type of uh, like a genre of of game where my understanding is every time you die, you get a little bit stronger and you take all the stuff that you've accrued with you. And so you still have to sort of go back quite a few places or maybe back to the start of a level or whatever, but all the stuff you've accrued before you died, you keep with you. And so it just keeps getting that little bit easier, that sort of Groundhog Day slash, uh, there's a couple of other films now that, that it's now becoming a genre, the the idea of the looping narrative. And I, I think to potentially take us off into a, into a big old tangent, there's something really interesting about that as... Oh, I don't know, a metaphor for a few things. There's there's the TV show Russian Doll. There's there's a, a films like Live, Die, Repeat, where I think it's maybe the reason it's becoming a genre is it's maybe tapping into something now about having certain human experiences and each time we end and we start again, we get a little bit more knowledge of, ah, yes, I remember how this goes. And I don't know, there's, there's, there's something... There's something lovely in there, and I just I'm trying to crack that nut, but there's definitely something in there about uh wisdom and yeah. Although I know someone <laughs> through our mutual circles who mm-hmm. is I mean, we have the phrase wise beyond their years. Oh, I think I know exactly who you're talking about, but it might not be. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. And that is an interesting thing because there's there's someone I'm thinking of who has not had the life experience that you would expect would accrue wisdom, yet they just have it innately. And that is that is a whole that's a whole thing. That is when someone just seems to have that innate wisdom. And maybe it is just about they are very good at tapping into that voice and being unblocked. And just they are just channeling that innate voice that's already there rather than what can sometimes happen for us is the, the accumulation of life experience actually just crowds out that voice and we need to stop and have that conversation again with it, just as you you laid out uh, in the earlier meditation. Yeah, yeah, no, see, the idea of an old soul is someone who brings lifetimes, prior lifetimes of wisdom and knowledge and experience to bear in this particular incarnation. And that's why I was talking about the, the transmutation aspect of wisdom, because there are a lot of people who had a lot of experience who don't seem to learn damn shit I still go through the same circles, same cycles, time after time after time. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you inhabited, you used the language of a 1980s New York police chief (laughs) in a buddy cop film to describe these people. They ain't learned damn shit. They're running it, running around the streets, causing havoc, cashing checks that their badges can't handle. Absolute mavericks, but by God, they get the job done. Well, it just reminds me that my late mum used to work, used to live, sorry, in a sheltered housing complex. And, you know, these were people in their 60s, 70s, 80s 
who were breaking each other's hearts, falling into arguments. And it was like doing the sort of things you'd expect like a bunch of you know teenagers to do with like added Zimmer frames. And it's like... Just, you know, that's again, I think it's really interesting you're t- touching on that, you know, age does not necessarily confer wisdom. It is this thing of being able to sit with things to go, okay, so why did that happen? And actually talking about these accumulation of experiences, actually using them as fodder to broaden oneself, to embrace more of oneself, rather than use them as ways to narrow one's thinking and one's perspective, to warp it, to twist it. Things never go right for me because, and then there's a whole laundry list of of things that have happened which prove that to be a, a, a a fundamental truth rather than a particular set of beliefs. And I guess that kind of takes us to my closing thought. And I was trying to work out how to bring this to a close and then I was looking at some wisdom quotes and given that I fell in love with a paper which talked about Aristotle at the beginning I thought it was only fair to uh, close with him Uh, and it says knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom and I'd love to read for you uh, Khalil Gibran um, uh, from the prophet which is about self-knowledge and a man said speak to us of self-knowledge And he answered, saying, Your hearts know in silence the secrets of the days and the nights, but your ears thirst for the sound of your heart's knowledge. You would know in words that which you have always known in thought, and you would touch with your fingers the naked body of your dreams. And it is well you should. The hidden wellspring of your soul must needs rise and run murmuring to the sea and the treasure of your infinite depths would be revealed to your eyes. But let there be no scales to weigh your unknown treasure, and seek not the depths of your knowledge with staff or sounding line, for self is a sea boundless and measureless. Say not, I have found the truth, but rather, I have found a truth. Say not, I have found the path of the soul, Say rather, I have met the soul walking upon my path. For the soul walks upon all paths. The soul walks not upon a line, neither does it grow like a reed. The soul unfolds itself like a lotus of countless petals. The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin, and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com, where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. Take care, and do join us again next week on the A to Z of Happiness. Mm-hmm.